This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Jim Kaplan to the program. Welcome back, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Always glad to be here. James Jim Kaplan is a lawyer, writer, and walking tour historian who's the president and one of the founders of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. He is the founding partner of Greenberg and Kaplan, where he is a practicing tax, estate, and guardianship lawyer. Our topic is the history of July 4th celebrations, particularly in New York City. The Lower Manhattan Historical Association recently held its July 4th parade in Lower Manhattan. We'll hear more about that in a few minutes. And Liz Kovart's Ben Franklin's World podcast recently had a discussion on the origin of July 4th celebrations, largely in Philadelphia. And Jim Kaplan's here to tell us about the history of 4th of July in New York City. July 4, 1776, was the day the Continental Congress published and adopted the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain back in 1776. And at the time, John Adams wrote to his wife Abigail that he hoped Independence Day would become a big deal. Hold the emails. Yes, it is true. John Adams thought July 2nd would be the anniversary when the Congress voted to adopt the Declaration of Independence, but uh, it ended up being July 4th. And Adams wrote, I'm apt to believe it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. Uh, Jim, you write that in the city of New York, July 4th celebrations held after the enactment of the U.S. Constitution were anything but nonpartisan. Can you explain that? Yes. Uh, Liz Covart in her uh, podcast mentioned that July 4th was always a political holiday uh, in Philadelphia, and I would say it was even more so in New York City. Uh, and that was because of the nature of the New York's politics around the time of the Revolution, as you may or may not know, New York had many more Tories than other places uh, at the time of the Revolution and was really split between uh, Tory and Patriot people. And during the Revolution, uh, the British took over New York City and it was their headquarters, and uh, thus it was largely exclusively controlled by the Tories. And the Patriots fled to uh, fight with uh, up in upstate with General Gates and others uh, during the Revolution in the, the key revolutionary wars, such as the Battle of Saratoga. Uh, but after the revolution in uh, 1783 on evacuation day, which New York was the last place that the British left, uh, uh, the uh, Patriot government took over, and there was very bitter feeling toward Tories. Uh, and uh, many, most, many, if not most, of the Tories fled, uh, but most of the land had been owned by Tories, so uh, the question was what was going to happen with it. Under New York state law, any land owned by Tories was to be forfeited to the state, mm -hmm. and uh, there was an effort led by the high sheriff, Marinus Willett, to essentially to redistribute that land to uh, various uh, you know, patriots who would come back, and patriots hoped that their economic position would be much better uh, than it was before the war. Uh, that was, you know, there was a real element of social revolution. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, the Treaty of Paris, which had settled the uh, 
American Revolution, which made America, the United States independent, uh, had a provision that said that the United States was to respect the property rights of Tories. And that was later uh, uh, implemented in the U.S. Constitution, which said that no state uh, shall impair the obligation of contract. And there was a significant group in the uh, uh, in New York, led by Alexander Hamilton, among others, who believed that the U.S. Uh, the U.S. should honor its obligations under the uh, Treaty of Paris, and uh, and that created considerable bitterness among uh, many men who had fought for the revolution, who now found that their economic rights were being uh, questioned, and that the land that they had hoped to obtain was going back to the people who had fought on the, the, the losing side and fought for the British. Uh, so there was considerable uh, controversy and, and hostility between uh, uh, the uh, Federalists, who tended to favor uh, the uh, U.S. Constitution, tended to favor a restoration, if you will, of uh, property rights for wealthy landowners like the Delanceys, etc., and uh, the, the uh, uh, patriots. At first, the patriots couldn't do anything about mm -hmm. it because the law was the law, and uh, uh, they became increasingly embittered. But the one thing they could do was they could celebrate on the 4th of July, and they therefore would, begin, would hold 4th of July celebrations in what today is City Hall Park uh, to uh, toast to the ideals of the Declaration of Independence and to ultimately see if they could organize to uh, against this, if you will, counter-revolution. And that became the basis. So there was a group called the Tammany Society, which uh, Chief Tammany of the Delawares was a, an Indian chief uh, uh, who supposedly believed in uh, uh, the ideals of the revolution. And, uh, uh, and the Tammany Society and these uh, celebrations became quite important. So these 4th of July celebrations would ultimately be the backbone of the modern Democratic Party, what would become, mm -hmm. in a sense, today is the Democratic Party. And part of this political struggle over the, the property rights and, and the control of the uh, uh, New York City government. Now, in the elections of 1800, the Tammany Society prevailed uh, in an upset victory, uh, led by uh, uh, people such as George Clinton and uh, a celebrity candidate, General Horatio Gates of the Battle of Saratoga, and they essentially were able to defeat the Hamiltonian slate and the Federalists, and uh, uh, that led to the rise of the uh, uh, essentially the Democratic Party in uh, in New York City, which would essentially control the city for the next 150 years. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the 1800 election was the one in which Thomas Jefferson was elected president, right? Yes, yes, they were they were pledged to Thomas Jefferson over John Adams. I mean that was, and in fact, it was because of the support, uh, the election in New York City that uh, uh, the members from New York City to the state legislature, which by the way included General Horatio Gates, uh, were able to uh, force the Electoral College to go for Jefferson as opposed to Adams, and the national election to go to mm -hmm. Adams. Well, so it's. They were, 
I was going to say, when I first read your piece about this, which you've done for New York History blog, you know, I didn't know any of this, and I was uh, thought, gee, interested to see the word Tammany associated with the uh, 4th of July, because certainly in uh, subsequent history, uh, the Tammany uh, Society is is faulted for running a big political machine in Manhattan, but it's good to see how this uh, this came to be or the origin of that. Yes, the Tammany Society was really militant in its belief of the Declaration of Independence, the rights of man, Jeffersonian ideals, as opposed to the more aristocratic Federalists, and that was always the basis of their support and would be the basis of their support, as I'm going to talk about later, into the 1920s, into Al Smith and uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, actually. But in uh, the early er, the years of the 1800s, the July 4th celebrations you wrote, I believe, became less partisan? Well, I think after the, after the election of the, uh, uh, after the elections of 1800, they weren't as, as bitterly partisan as they were. I mean, uh, uh, I think Liz Covert's podcast talked about various political parties taking over July 4th as a, uh, certainly the, the Democratic Party and the Tammany Society viewed July 4th as their holiday. I think there was less of that when the, uh, uh, you know, once the, uh, uh, elections, uh, you know, once essentially the uh, uh, Tammany Society basically was in control of New York City's politics for most of its period. Uh, uh, I might add that into the 1860, in the 1860s, the Tammany Society, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, in the 1840s, the Tammany Society uh, uh, aligned itself with uh, Archbishop John Hughes and the, the Irish immigrants. I mean, immigrants were pouring into the city. So Tammany Hall became known as the, uh, if you will, the defender of the immigrants. And they, they would continue to have these uh, lengthy July 4th celebrations at which immigrants were invited and immigrants were told to, that they could feel to be part of the society and part of the city. And that uh, even though there were many people who were bitterly opposed to immigration, uh, perhaps as there is today, uh, you know, the, the Tammany was known as, as the defender of the immigrants uh, politically. And, mm -hmm. uh, and these celebrations were, were very important to try to integrate them into the society. Now, uh, as a result of that, uh, uh, I mean, I suppose they, they would, uh, somebody from uh, uh, members of the Tammany Society or, or immigrants who supported the Tammany Society, uh, uh, perhaps would be less uh, uh, likely to uh, uh, oppose the, the claims of Tammany corruption, which were, were rampant at the time, uh, you know, because they were, they figured these people will stand up for us, even though, yes, let let the uh, wealthy people say they're corrupt and they're evil, but, you know, we, uh, that certainly was very much part of Tammany's uh, political line, and, and continue to be for throughout the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So it was Tammany policy, if you will, to celebrate the 4th of July. Oh, absolutely. By its by its very uh, constitution, it said that, that they were to celebrate the 4th of July. Uh, in fact, uh, in 1904, if I may go forward, uh, George Washington Plunkett, the so-called Tammany uh, philosopher, if you will, or uh, said, uh, said uh, 
Nobody pays any attention to the 4th of July any longer except Tammany and the small boy. When the 4th comes, the reformers with revolutionary names parted in the middle run off to Newport or, or the Adirondacks to get out of the way of the noise and everything that reminds them of that glorious day. How different it is with Tammany. The very constitution of the Tammany Society requires that we must assemble at the wigwam on the 4th, regardless of weather, and listen to the reading of the Declaration of Independence and patriotic speeches. Mm, yeah. How did the uh, 4th of July celebrations in New York City change in the 20th century? Well, I think up until, uh, as far as I can tell, the Tammany Society or Tammany Hall uh, uh, was still very active in uh, holding these celebrations, you know, with thousands of people, where they would, which was a very important part of their political uh, uh, line, you might say, their political uh, uh, goals to uh, integrate immigrants and get them to vote for the Tammany ticket, even though it may be subject subject to uh, uh, charges of uh, uh, corruption and, mm-hmm. and uh, the bad things that things said about them. Uh, but uh, uh, in uh, uh, 1926, for example, the Charles Francis Murphy flagpole at uh, in Union Square, which is a big flagpole with a whole uh, bar reliefs about the 4th of July and the Declaration of Independence, was dedicated as part of the Tammany Center. And most significantly, in uh, November and uh, July fourth, nineteen twenty-nine, the new Tammany Hall at Seventeenth uh, uh, Street and uh, right near the uh, uh, Charles Francis Murphy flagpole in Brown of uh, Union Square was dedicated. And uh, uh, at the dedication, and uh, well, Al Smith, the great Tammany governor, had just lost the presidency to Herbert Hoover uh, uh, in a landslide. But uh, uh, in many ways, uh, Tammany was down, and the Democratic Party was down, but not out. Uh, uh, The keynote speaker at the dedication was a newly elected and narrowly elected governor named Franklin Roosevelt. (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an attempt to regroup by the Democratic Party, which ultimately would be successful with the New Deal. So I think the, 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 the July 4th celebrations were intimately involved throughout the city's history mm-hmm. uh, up until the 20s with the uh, uh, with uh, uh, politics and with the, with the Democratic Party. Our guest is Jim Kaplan, who's one of the founders of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. We're talking about celebrating the 4th of July in New York City through the years. We'll be back in just a moment. I do want to mention to you that the Historian's Podcast depends on our fundraising campaign, our GoFundMe campaign, which you can access at GoFundMe.com forward slash 2019, The Historian's. It's uh, very easy to donate online, or you can send us a check, make the check out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. We're talking about how they celebrate the 4th of July in the Big Apple. We're joined by Lower Manhattan uh, Historical Association founder Jim Kaplan. You've taken us uh, up through, but well, the, the last thing was the uh, late 1920s, but uh, the extent of the power of uh, Tammany Hall continued to decline. 
And what about mo- you know more modern July Fourth uh, celebrations? Um, the one the first society, thing. Society. Go ahead. Hall really declined. Uh, went out of. Uh, existence in 1961 with the defeat of uh, the Tammany leader Carmine de Sapio by a reform group actually headed by Eleanor Roosevelt and uh, basically uh, ceased to exist. So obviously the celebrations that I talk about ceased to exist also. Uh, As far as I can tell, there probably were July 4th celebrations, but not of the political nature that uh, they had been for most of the city's history. Uh, The uh, uh, I would say in 1972, uh, a new event occurred, which I call the commercialization of July 4th. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when uh, two PR men from uh, uh, the Nathan's Hot Dog Company uh, came up with the idea of having a July 4th hot dog eating contest uh, on July 4th, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. connect their company with the uh, uh, American celebration and hot dogs and all that, and uh, and that was highly highly successful from an economic standpoint, as far as I can tell. From yeah, and it's still market. going on, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, I view our effort as an effort to try to, uh, you might say, uh, raise the level of uh, July Fourth celebrations in the city and fight the influence of the Nathan's hot dog eating, the commercialization of. Uh, July 4th. Right. And, and also, Macy's has fireworks. Or do they still do that? Yes, yes. Macy's has fireworks. I must say, I've always been, an, you might say, an opponent of the uh, uh, the great uh, adulation for the, the, the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. I must say, I like Nathan's hot dogs, but, but it seems to me it's a debasement of the whole idea of July 4th, and really the July 4th that historically, which was I mean, the Tammany Society's idea was to educate people about the Declaration of Independence and to integrate immigrants and others so that they understood the history of our of the city and the, the origins of. Uh, uh, and I, I don't see the Nathan's hot dog eating okay. doing this. Um, also, in the seventies, the. Uh, Big sailing ships, the tall ships, uh, came to New York City at the 4th of July, didn't they? Yes, yes. That was a highly successful July 4th uh, uh, festival, which was uh, headed up by a guy named Frank Brainerd at the South Street Seaport. And I think that uh, really did try to, uh, or did uh, give the city a psychological boost at a time of uh, economic uh, downturn. It was at the time of the city's fiscal crisis, and I think it really in a way, uh, revitalized the city psychologically, and that was quite important. Uh, unfortunately, it, it wasn't, a, you know, it was a one-shot thing. It wasn't continued. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, I think, has been the major public event in New York City uh, since that time, mm-hmm. uh, on, other than our efforts to uh, create a second one, or if you will, an right. alternative. And yours uh, stemmed to some extent, did they not, from uh, a walking tour in the middle of the night that the 92nd Street uh, Y uh, created in the 1980s? Yes, yes. And I was personally involved in this, very heavily personally involved. Uh, I became interested in the 80s uh, in uh, uh, I was at the uh, Saratoga Battlefield uh, after a New York State Bar Association tax section meeting, 
And I came to my attention that uh, General Horatio Gates, who was the commanding general at the Battle of Saratoga, firstly, very few people had heard of him, and secondly, that he was buried in an unmarked grave in Trinity Churchyard. Uh, so the Y had had a, uh, used to do, a, an, uh, you know, they did about 50 tours, and one of them was this all-night uh, uh, walking tour on July 4th, which was fairly successful. They had very good guides, uh, Joyce Mendelson, uh, I believe Justin Ferrati, but when I took it, uh, when I became involved with it, with a fellow named Warren Shaw, and, uh, who was also a lawyer uh, in the Corporation Counsel's office where I worked, and I was talking to him about it, and I had given some tours of Wall Street and other areas, and and uh, I said, well, I assume you cover General Gates. And he said, well, I don't know. What's it got to do with Lower Manhattan? And I said, well, did you know he was buried in an unmarked grave in Trinity Churchyard? And he said, well, no, that's interesting. And I asked if I could speak about General Gates uh, on his tour, which he graciously said I could. And in 1996, uh, I gave a talk. I guess I spoke for about uh, 10 or 15 minutes, which was probably three times as long as I was supposed to, on uh, General Gates and the Battle of Saratoga, and the uh, uh, and said what a disgrace it was that uh, you're one of the most important generals in uh, New York State was, was buried in an unmarked grave, and uh, uh, they liked that. And Warren uh, asked me to come back the next year, so we began to co-lead, you might say, this tour of our. Uh, uh, and ultimately he came to me and said, you know, it's very difficult to me to, uh, I give up my whole July 4th by doing an all night tour. And I, I said to him, but this is our July 4th. Uh, so I began, I gave it myself. And then the, uh, 92nd Street Y decided to go out of the walking tour business, which was a great problem, a great mistake, I think. Uh, and, uh, so I had no one to, I very much wanted to continue to give the tour, which I had now reshaped in certain respects. So I went to the Francis Tavern Museum, uh, and they uh, uh, were very skeptical as to whether anybody would show up for a walking tour in the middle of the night. On, Why did uh, you do it in the middle of the night? Well, it was because that's when the Y gave it, actually. Okay. I mean, later I discovered, I felt that, uh, firstly, you would get more people at the middle, in the middle of the night. A lot of people said to me, it's a great time because I'm not doing anything else on July 4th at this hour. And, and uh, you know, it was easier to see things, actually. But in any event, uh, uh, so uh, the first year, uh, uh, I didn't know whether the, the Y had a mailing, you know, had a, had a brochure that went to 300,000 people, whereas the museum probably went to about 3,000. And I didn't know if that would, that would work, but, uh, you know, it, we gave it a shot, and uh, it, it was much better focused because that's that was all they did. They didn't have... 15 tours, and uh, uh, and we had about 42 people. So that established at, at 2 a.m. in the morning, and that established uh, the viability of the tour. Uh, later, it became kind of a cult uh, uh, thing. To, yeah. uh, I mean, not everybody's up for <laughs> right. a... Well, Jim, we, I do, do you want to move on? Because we want to give you an opportunity. We have about five minutes left to tell us about this year's parade. This has sort of evolved into the Lower Manhattan Historical Association 4th of July parade, and you had quite a parade this year. Sure, sure. Well, the, the, uh, I, I think it was as a result of, uh, my feeling and others in the, in the Sons of the Revolution, our constituent groups, that we really weren't getting the publicity or play 
that we should for this kind of activity, and then most of it went to the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, which had very extensive PR men, and uh, you know the, the mayor would show up at their things. Which, uh, uh, that we should try to build up the July 4th uh, activities in Lower Manhattan. Uh, at first, we tried to have a July 4th festival, uh, uh, and that was not wholly successful because people said they wouldn't. The they, uh, various uh, not-for-profits who said that it was a great idea said that the, their people wouldn't come out on July 4th because even you know, they were at home and everything. So we started with a parade of, around the, the, the uh, advent of the Hermione, which was a French ship which was docking in New York on July 4th. Uh, and uh, uh, we decided we would try to have uh, see if the French sailors would, would march in a parade. Ultimately, they didn't, but we got uh, some groups together, the uh, Sons of the Revolution, the, the Veteran Corps of Artillery, etc., and... Uh, uh, and we had our first parade on uh, 2015, going up Wall Street, down Broadway to Bowling mm-hmm. Green, and we raised the French flag, the American flag. Uh, yeah. uh, and and, and historically, the Hermion had been Lafayette's flagship, correct? Right, yes. like So it was an attempt by the French government, and for French, uh, I guess it was private people as well as the government, to, to do a goodwill gesture to emphasize the French involvement in the American Revolution. Okay, and but was, now we're, we're down to four minutes. What, what happened at the parade this year? Well, this year I think we've gotten stronger every year. We learn more every year as to how, how to do it. Uh, uh, this year we, we started at... Uh, Castle Clinton, which is where the uh, right at the end of the uh, cannon firing by the Veteran Corps of Artillery. The Veteran Corps of Artillery has always had, uh, for about a hundred years, fired uh, cannon salute to the 51 states, and we hooked into that last year. Actually, we had uh, bagpipers who were very good and created a lot of activity on the streets. And we had uh, the same groups, but this year we, and additionally, we had about 60 people from uh, the American Legion uh, uh, post from Chinatown. Mm-hmm. So uh, probably our strongest thing was, was the, the Chinese color guard. And uh, we had a very good turnout from them. Uh, we had the excellent route goes across, uh, 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 goes across um, uh, uh, Battery Park, up uh, Broad Street past the Stock Exchange, all the way across Rawl Street, which I view as the most historic and important street in Lower Manhattan, and then up to the South Street Seaport. So uh, uh, I think we get, uh, uh, you know, we probably had maybe 150 people marching and probably about 1,500 on the street. Uh, And... uh, 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 you know, we're not quite at the level of the uh, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest yet, and we certainly don't get the publicity, but I think I think we're getting there. Okay. And, In fact, you have uh, produced uh, a very uh, compelling uh, video that you've got on YouTube. Yes, yes. We have a, a very good website by our webmaster, Frederick Vigneron, and, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you can put it on your website, but uh, but if you, you go to our website, we have, we have a, a YouTube of the... Uh, uh, the uh, 2019 parade, and uh, you know we expect to keep going and keep trying to get bigger and bigger and better. So ultimately, we are the major event <laughs> in lower in New York City well, on July 4th. 
well, that's not the... political, but I think it's quite important educationally. One thing I just a side point, and we have like a minute and a half left. You, you've had uh, like um, the, the mayor hasn't attended your events. You've had the borough president of Manhattan and so forth. Yes, borough president uh, uh, Gail Brewer has been a, a supporter from the beginning. She's attended each parade. Uh, look, I, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, certainly we haven't discouraged the mayor from coming. But right. He hasn't uh, uh, called us, but I, I think we'll get there. We're, uh, uh, you know, a lot of politicians are want to be at their country homes on uh, July Fourth, uh, uh, and that's another thing. We're trying to encourage people uh, not to go to the backyard barbecues, but to join us. Uh, at my uh, my pitch at the community board is. Uh, you know, I know you think you're going to be up with Aunt Bessie on July 4th, but why don't you bring Aunt Bessie and her children down to Lower Manhattan for this? <laughs> why not? Well, Jim Kaplan is a lawyer, writer, and walking tour historian who's the president and one of the founders of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. Just one of uh, several events that they uh, sponsor during the year is their uh, 4th of July parade, and I'm sure they'll be doing it on July 4th. You have been listening to the Historians Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.